0: Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's
1: voice
2: committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability,
0: democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media want. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement.
1: It exposes the
2: lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. And good morning, Melbourne. Yeah. Good morning, Melbourne. From Jacob Green Left Weekly Radio. And Zane. And
3: Dennis. And. We also have two special guests in the studio this this morning. We have with us Domenica uh, Moreno, who is the Ecuadorian activist here here in uh, in in Melbourne, studying at the University of, of Melbourne. Yeah,
1: thank you very much for your invitation. Good morning, Melbourne.
3: And
2: we've also got Greg here. Yeah, g'day. Good morning. How you going? Greg's uh, getting getting trained up. He's going to be. Part of the 3CR team, so... Yeah,
4: doing Mondays, so... Yeah. Oh, nice. Watch out for that.
2: Yeah, cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, I, for one, would like to acknowledge that 3CR exists and is broadcasting on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded, and we pay our respects to Elders past, present, and future. Always, was, always, will be Aboriginal. Aboriginal Um, All right. Well, we're going to be talking to Dominica soon um, about Ecuadorian and Latin American politics, and we've also got Sivajaran Arumugam Siva. Uh, He is from the. He's the general secretary of the Party Socialist Malaysia, the PSM. Uh, He'll be coming in uh, later today, after about eight o'clock. Um Yeah. So lots of exciting
3: stuff. Excellent. I thought we'd start off with some current news and affairs as well.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So um in terms of like current news, um, does everyone has everyone been kind of following um the sort of media sort of um witch hunt on Duncan who who sort of had the, the um the guts to basically ask the question on um, on Q and A to a bunch of um to basically ask, you know, why isn't why why is my um tax threshold um not had increased because basically a rich person doesn't notice when their taxes actually increase but if it but if it were to um if it were to um decrease for him Um he it would be it would um it would give him enough money to buy basically a milkshake of the weekend and since he's asked that question it's basically caused this huge hysteria from the media and they've um they started digging into his like, you know, personal life, Mm. you know, finding out his history and then making him and then there Mm. was this very terrible um front page of the Daily Telegraph that said um it was Q and A hero a fog. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, well, it's, it's a classical character assassination that's done by by, by Mer- media. There's mm-hmm. no there's no doubt uh, about it. There, um, uh, we coming we coming we coming into the uh, election period. So so basically, what so what American the de- de- Telegraph usually doing this in these uh, in these times? Basically, try to uh, paint individuals like like Duncan as the sort of. Almost the ultimate, uh, the ultimate enemy of the of the Australian people.
0: Public so enemy number one. Exactly. Well, yeah. just <coughs> going to that. Um, yeah, Peter Dunton um, recently tried to make a, a wild kind of statement that um, refugees um, coming to Australia are illiterate mm-hmm. and they will take away Australian jobs. And they took
4: our jobs. They took our jobs. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I love the Facebook memes that come across. Have come across out of that. My my favourite one being Schroeder's. Uh, Schroeder's. Uh... Yeah, which is a joke I don't get, but I love it's the the refugee who. You know, at the same time as taking our jobs as also being the unemployed doll bludger uh, simultaneously, which is great skill and talent, I think.
1: Yeah, but there are also memes that say, well, if a foreigner that doesn't have a good language, doesn't have context, and doesn't have a background in that country takes your job, that's because you're <laughs> not working well. Uh, yeah, yeah. What does <laughs> that say about you? Exactly,
4: yeah. exactly. But don't forget, people—they took our jobs. Uh, yeah,
3: yeah. But it's, um, it's, its actually. I—I I I I was even—I would say surprised to see, uh, to, to, to see um, Duncan. Uh, sorry, not sorry, sorry, Peter Dutton. <laughs> 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 sorry, uh, see, Peter Dutton to drop drop to this kind of level even for the liberal party it's uh, they it almost feels like they're trying to outright
0: the far right mm. well because the rhetoric uh, kind of keeps changing because that was kind of rhetoric that came from sort of um from it was sort of like um sort of come from, like, you know, far-right groups like the UPF, you know, Peter Dunton, really previously all the rhetoric was about saving lives at sea, like, we need a strong border protection Mm -hmm. policy because we're, we need to stop deaths at sea, but now they've changed the goalposts, and now the reason why we don't want refugees here is because they'll take our jobs, and that's uh, blatantly more racist than what the rhetoric they were pushing before. Exactly. Mm.
4: But even boats... You know, there was a boat a few weeks ago that made it to Cocos Island, so the steel boat's coming, but the media is refusing to report on it for some reason. What, what happened to that boat? Where did that go? Nobody knows. Um, yeah. Operational matters. Sorry, sorry for asking. I apologise, uh, Mr. <laughs> Dutton.
2: Yeah, more cynical dog whistle politics. And I think there was a poll came out in the week, and I think Liberal were just behind Labour. And it was about when that poll came
4: out that they were like, Quick! Step it up. Ramp up the racism. Yeah. We're <laughs> getting behind in the polls. <laughs> Bash, yes. Bashing Duncan's not enough. We've yeah. got to lift our game, more harder.
3: It's, a, it's actually a, um, a sort of. It's be, I would say it's become quite common in a sort of a string of a, of a string, of, um, uh, a, a string in um, uh, the kind of uh, the, the, the kind of jargon, the kind of language that uh, the right the, uh, the right has been using sort of across uh, the world. Like uh, this is and this is something that's uh, one of the Australia's most renowned right wing. Um, uh, political, uh, uh, po- uh, political gurus, Lyndon Crosby has been doing in, has been doing recently in London. That's what he's done in Canada. That's what he's done in Australia. In London, in the recent uh, mayoral elections in London, actually, the, uh, the, the Conservative Party candidate, uh, Zach Goldsmith published a, uh, a full, a full page in one of the, in, in the Standards, well, one of the biggest newspapers there. Basically, w- with a huge, po- with a huge picture of the 7-7-7 seven, uh, seven, seven bombers. Of uh, the mm. seven, seven bo- uh, bombings in London, and basically with a headline, "Don't let London fall to terrorists," which he which he was talking about the Labour candidate, who ha- uh, Sadiq Khan, who happened to be a Muslim. Mm. So we're we're seeing th- we're seeing this happening over in uh, over in over in the UK. We're seeing this happening over here here in Australia. It's
4: uh, it's really lazy politics, isn't it? Well, like it's just you know look at the outside and be scared mm-hmm. of them. Because mm. that's basically all we've got to offer, like come on, like treat us like we've got a brain or something mm. exactly. just on all sides, I reckon mm.
2: um another thing that's in the news uh it's on the front page of today's herald scum uh the AFP has conducted a raid. The Australian federal police have conducted a raid on Australian Labor Party officers in Melbourne over NBN leaks.
3: Are some
4: people getting the NBN? (laughs) Are they they smuggling
3: in NBN from other countries? Some some people are getting fast internet. Uh, Yeah,
4: smuggled in from South Korea. Uh, I believe there have been 20 leaks uh, since uh, Tony Abbott won the election. There have been 20 major leaks um, from federal government sources that And this is the first time, coincidentally, that the AFP decided to to raid someone's house or office about it. It's quite a coincidence that it's happening in the second week of an election campaign, I think. Mm. Yeah, right. Uh, The other 19 just, you know, weren't important enough, apparently.
2: Yes, and uh, Malcolm Turnbull, uh, commenting in The Age today, I'm just looking for the quote, he's basically said that, uh, oh, well, if the the Labor Party officers... have been raided, that's a matter for the Australian Federal Police, and uh, it's, uh, it's entirely a matter for the AFP, he said. As you know, they operate entirely independently of the government, so this is a matter for the AFP. Hmm. Yeah, we don't have any long history of the, <laughs> of the AFP and other intelligence agencies being used in a partisan manner no. against anyone to the left of... People like Peter Dutton,
4: (laughs) not at all. And only seven weeks to go, eh? Uh, (laughs) The election, seven weeks of this, that sounds great.
2: Uh, By the way, I should probably disclose, I will be running as a candidate in the federal election. Uh, I'm not planning to really talk about my candidacy today. I'll be talking in the seat of wills, but I just thought I should disclose that whilst we are talking about electoral matters. Yeah. So okay. there will be
3: proper, real, alternative, alternative candidates, candidates coming up in the federal election. And same is one of them. Yeah. Here at 3CR, we're not allowed to induce people to vote
2: one way or the other, but we can let people know about certain... The possibilities. Exactly. That's,
3: that's, yeah. what, that's, what, that's, what we, that's what people need to know. People know that there are other possibilities outside, outside of the, the political geography that has been constructed by the Coalition and the Labour Party. Hmm.
4: Word. Well, getting the voices out from all the parties is is kind of the role of 3CR that you won't hear in mainstream media. Um, I'm hoping later to do a show on, uh, you know, a little thing called foreign policy because that's a federal election. No one's talking about, you know, the US alliance or... You know, the wars Australia's been involved in the last 15 years, which has cost us tens of billions of dollars and lots of Australian and foreign lives. That's a little issue I'd like to talk about.
2: I'm quietly (laughs) confident that some of those issues are going to be unpacked throughout the course of this federal election campaign. Yeah, yeah, with any luck,
4: uh, you know. (laughs) I hope so.
1: That's very good. Congratulations, because not everyone has actually the confidence to represent a minority group or even to unpack things that haven't been solved or discussed before. So it's good on you that you have that confidence, and I really support you. Congratulations.
2: Oh, thank you, comrade. <laughs> uh, what else is new today, Greg? You've got a copy of today's age. Ah, Do you want to
3: go? Uh, actually, well, actually or, yes, before yeah. we... Um, well, well, actually, I think Greg, Greg should go. Uh, should uh, should I, go next. I, time.
4: I just talk yeah. about the age and uh, the SDA, which is the um, shop and distribute. It's been a while since I've, you know, I used to be a member of the SDA. I'll disclose that when I was uh, 15, I, and worked at Franklin's, um, uh, but they've uh, cut a deal with McDonald's, my old union, and that's taken away the penalty rates of casuals working on weekends. So imagine being a Young McDonald's worker dealing with uh, people in Melbourne City who might be a little bit excited at being in the city and going in for their mackers and the hard work that would be, and you don't even you're not even allowed to get a five dollar an hour penalty rate for working on a Sunday Sunday night like exploitation. Yeah, yeah it's a,
0: it's absolutely ridiculous, and then there's also the fact that um, I'm sure I'm not sure many people know this, but you know the fact that a lot of um, McDonald's shops now have 24-hour breakfasts. That's right. Mm. Um, And actually, that's actually creating extra work on top of the sort of work that they have to do because they have to do Mm. all this sort of extra cleaning. And, of course, they're getting no compensation for that whatsoever. Mm. And actually, one of the other things I've noticed is actually fast food shops, um, places like um, Hungry Jack's, um, when they actually... um, Presumably they have penalty rates at Hungry Jack's because on the weekends you have like a, a surcharge for weekends. So basically you have mm-hmm. to pay more for um, for food that is served there because oh, because they can't afford to, um, mm-hmm. to um, if they pay their workers well or pay their workers penalty rates, the cost has to cut. Co- to drop down to the consumer. Mm. And yeah, of course, you pay surcharge. So but yeah. that, I guess um, what I see flowing from that is that basically the the cost goes down to the consumer. Now the consumer is more likely to be sort of against penalty rates because of their own convenience. Mm-hmm. Like it tries to foster this sort of um, division where, oh, it, where people uh, log. People ex- actually accept that penalty rates going up because it means, oh yes, their burger now one dollar cheaper when mm-hmm. it shouldn't be really the case. But mm. The worst,
3: the worst, but the worst part of this whole affair is uh, the response of the SDA and how SDA uh, SDA has been handling oh, sold uh, the issue. Oh, absolutely. Well, it has, well, so <laughs> you know, by now, by now, most of us, uh, most of us know that the S, that the SDA is has basically been. In, in partnership with a, lo- with a lot with of companies companies like Kohl's, like Woolworths like mm. uh, like like Maccas, to ensure well basic, basically to, basically to ensure that uh, the workers wages are kept are kept at the you know the absolute absolute minimal possible level. And they mm-hmm. can you know to squeeze the greatest amount of profits. I, th- I think it's it also ties in well with two other uh, two other big uh, issues that have been coming ongoing this year. One has been the um, the case of Duncan Hart over in uh, over in Brisbane. So that's the member of the SDA who has decided to stand up against. Uh, uh, against against exploitation uh, in coals, so against the mm-hmm. deal that the SDA and uh, coal have took signed. So yeah. and they took him to court. So they, they, uh, sorry, one of uh, Australia's uh, right. Australia's main conglomerates is taking a one a single a single worker to court because mainly mainly because he spoke out against the dirty deal that the uh, the company has done w- with the union to cut weekend penalty rates mm. and replace them just with like a small bump. Across, uh, across, across all the older the days there,
2: extra ten cents an hour. Exactly, it all works <laughs> out in the end. All <laughs> those
4: jobs that'll be created—it's not about profit at all, yeah. for the people. Oh, yeah. uh, and
3: the second, and the second issue that has been, of course, the scam that has been going on in uh, seven in Seven Eleven, where, where <sighs> the uh, you, 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 see, you you've seen tens of thousands of um, uh, of a. There are tens of thousands of immigrant workers uh, who are who are employed in chains like you know chains like seven like seven eleven 11 other other retail stores. Change mm. is and the
4: operative word there because some of them have been threatened with deportation exactly. if they if they bring it up and challenge it. That was you know the other big story in yeah. Fairfax yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and change that, is the right word.
3: And and mm. a lot of them being paid um, and now now been discovered being paid between. Six and ten dollars, ten dollars an hour, like mm-hmm. two, two, two or three times below the the legal minimum wage as well. There was there was a protest. There was a, there was a protest last, um, a protest yesterday in in the city, it was organized by um, some by some comrades uh, in Unite, and also the, there was a, there was also a protest early in the morning on, uh, on Wednesday, I think that was organized by the Young Workers Center as a. And that got the front page of the uh, of the age uh, mm. as well. So it is uh, people are starting to, to see it, it. It is starting to catch on. And uh, since uh, we've got the front page today is uh, you know the a dirty deal. Exploited
4: is what thinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it is it,
3: it is becoming a real like people are now starting to starting to hear about this. They are, mm. they are starting to see, to see this. So yeah, um, I hope I hope that we can actually draw on the lessons of. Um, um, and the fast yeah. food workers in, pla- in places like the New- United States and New Zealand and actually start properly mm. orga- or- organising. Yeah, mm. it says okay.
0: actually here, which I find interesting, status and in, um, statistic in the article. It says um, that a, 18, a 19-year-old part-time in South Australia will be um, 5,773 worse off. Um, that's compared to a 17-year-old in um, part-time New- in New South Wales who will be. Um, 18,082 worse off under this kind of new deal. Though I guess um, that statistic has to do with more um, the rates of pay for a different age groups. Well,
4: yeah, it's it's quoting the difference there between the um, the the agreement between the SDA and McDonald's and the 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 legislated award rate, which of course they can they're entitled to under the new fair work laws or unfair work, whatever they're called, to negotiate their own agreement. And if your union says we've made this deal and you're a 17-year-old worker, like, you're just going to do whatever you're told, like, you're, and you're going to be exploited and uh, McDonald's gets to pocket it, I guess.
2: It's only a matter Actually. of time. The uh, the construction union, the BLF, used to be, like, the SDA, the coming boss's union. Yeah, right. And then there was a big, like, rank-and-file movement to get rid of the... Sell out leadership and actually put some people in there who fight for workers' rights. So, mm-hmm. the c- surely the clock has got to be ticking on the SDA yeah. leadership. That's yeah, people have got to no. kick that
3: leadership's butt and oh. it's it's not just change about, it. Yeah, it's not just about leadership, but it's about the uh, the, the real militancy within the union. That's that's what, that's what really that's where, where really the the, clo- the clock should be ticking.
2: Mm. Mm. An announcement about. More than says no to racism, the rally happening next weekend, next Saturday. Um, be there or be square. It's really important to get a good turnout to that rally. Uh, proactive um, people taking a stand against racism and closures of Aboriginal communities and Islamophobia in our community. Um, yeah, be
3: there. It's, it's important. All right, what's next? Uh, well, next we thought we'd actually have a, we have a discussion with uh, Domenica about some of the things that have been happening in her well in her own home country of Ecuador, and also drawing from that in the general context of Latin America and what we 've been seeing in the continent there in the last uh, well few few weeks and a uh, few months now uh Domenico, we've uh, all of us here in, uh, at, uh, in the in a studio and all of us here in the 3 CR community were very saddened when <coughs> were very we very saddened when we heard about the earthquake that took place in, in ecuador uh, i think it was just uh, just over just over a, a month uh, after uh, afterwards but we what after, but we were also also quite inspired by the amount of solidarity that was shown to Ecuador, by country, by sister, by sister nations throughout South America, and by um, uh, by other nations as well. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Sure, no problem. Um, let me emphasize some things first. And there are two things and two moments where actually this has been outstanding. The first one is, as you know, South America enjoys a lot of soccer. It's a mm-hmm. soccer culture. We love football, as we call it, and. There are only two times that I've seen people that United, not even with the high tea case, has been this like this. Um, this earthquake has been a nine, uh, 6.9 out on the ratio um, scale, and it devastated 20% of the infrastructure in the whole country. So it was, quite, it was a big problem that we had to face, seeing that my country is a growing economy, so it's a developing nation, doesn't have much... Policies about emergency restrictions or infrastructure um, control. So that's that was seen after the earthquake. There was no control in the buildings, and as a cause of that, we have more than 1,000 people dead, more than 250. Students that couldn't go to classes anymore. Actually, just yesterday there was another replicate of 7.1. Mm-hmm. We have had more than 600 replicates of earthquakes. So that means that there is a displacement of the plates, but we don't know exactly where. So it seems to be in the coast because of the irregularity of the continent. However, this has been striking our country's economy hard, really hard. It has tested the government in its top. So right now, how the governance is being managed by Rafael Correa, that's what is being contested, and he has shown that he's one of the most committed presidents that I've seen in in the world, like for saying it in a general standard. So um, my family is from the coast. My dad is a doctor. He works exactly where the earthquake origin started. Mm -hmm. So – yeah it has been devastating electricity has been cut down but what more it's more impressive is that people who we were not expecting to help us did offer aid so we got whole europe offering not only monetary aid but also um supplements camps tents um china gave these tents like literally a literally house of two story houses and mm-hmm. you can fit 20 families inside we got like 250,000 of those. So, pretty much everybody has been covered up in what is means of shelter, um, medicine, and healthcare as well. So, all the doctors, because as my dad is a doctor too, he's working um, unstopping. He doesn't have any cuts or vacations on the weekends as well. They don't get any extra paid, but all this is just to maintain the situation and get control over it until all this ends. The only problem is that we don't know when this is going to end. Mm-hmm. So there are expected more replicates of higher intensity, so they are mm-hmm. going to be 6.5 or above, and we don't know how much cause of damage can it have.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. But there's also been, uh, from, from what we heard, there's also been some well, some of the more extraordinary uh, uh, cases of solidarity that you've also had. Well, you mentioned your dad is a doctor, but there's also been a lot of doctors coming in from... A lot of doctors coming in from... Um, other uh, countries in the world. So from well, uh, Cuba has had about 800 doctors in Ecuador. Um, already, when the strike, when, when it happened, and they send extra 70 or so. But uh, the story that the the story that I heard, um, uh, that uh, the, one, the one that actually uh, that amazed me the most is that Palestine sent 13 medical professionals to to Ecuador to assist oh, yeah. with the uh, to assist with the earthquake.
1: Yeah, and that was quite outstanding. I have to admit that they have been actually the ones who have given the best service out of anything. So Mm -hmm. as you might know, like medicine in the Middle East has always been first developed since ancient times. But it's really outstanding to see how Palestine, even though their situation, Mm -hmm. they still have solidarity with a country that is also developing, but is at the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. So we got these 13 physicians who are extremely amazing they have controlled this zika place uh, the plague mm-hmm. that you might know has expanded mm-hmm. all over south america and they have also prevent in the hardest campaign that i've ever seen um the propagation of dengue with people mm-hmm. because you get a, a bunch of people living in the same place you get a lot of of heat first Second, a lot of water, and that water can be contaminated, then it can be a focus of pollution. Mm -hmm. But um, luckily, they they prevented all these things. Um, What is more surprisingly is also that the compatriots that are outside the country, they try to help as well. So even though we are just citizens that sometimes you feel helpless, before this situation you say oh well this tragedy is happening back home what can i do there's nothing so you just lay down on the mm-hmm. loss and grief feeling but actually um we did organize ourselves so the community yeah. in melbourne
3: yeah yeah so in in, in sort of as an activist in, in 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 the community here could you could tell us about the the efforts uh, what we did, fundraising. yeah, okay, actually, you were there,
1: which is great. Um, so you see I, the I, but I didn't organize. I
3: wasn't the one who organized it. Unfortunately, I would have loved. I would have. Uh, I would have loved to. Yeah, yeah, well,
1: it's quite inspirational to have you there already. <laughs> um, it it yeah. it emphasizes that people do care about someone else's affairs. So in that case. The Ecuadorian community in Melbourne has gathered together. We are around 800 students in Melbourne, but we gathered only 65. So we meet together on the 21st of April, so that's five days after the earthquake, Mm -hmm. and we started brainstorming about solutions. So basically Mm -hmm. for the last uh, two hours of that day, we spent making up, some sort of festivals and activities that could raise funding mm-hmm. for getting the victims of the earthquake being helped. Then um, on the 7th of May, we f- finally did this happen. We got a festival with food, traditional dancing, salsa. Of course, like, that's the best way to attract people. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to learn how to do salsa or bachata or <laughs> merengue. So we brought lots of people. They try Ecuadorian food, which doesn't exist here in Melbourne, and luckily
3: <laughs> it does now. <laughs> nice. well now it does because <laughs> of us <laughs> but
1: yeah I would like to have an official restaurant to say like come yes. and try our, our community we are quite engaging we like to embrace foreigners mm. when you come to my country you have been there yep. did, oh. did
2: you have mate?
1: Uh, no mate is yeah. Argentinian <laughs> Uh, no, we have guinea Unip- pigs. No, Jim. <laughs> um, uh, yes, yes. Okay. Now
3: they do. Uh, <laughs> Forgive my ignorance. Uh, so, how, how much money did uh, and did you end up raising with with your tol- total fundraising efforts All right.
1: um, We did a page in Indiegogo, and we got seven thousand thirty-two dollars. Then mm. we got bank transactions and people in the street donating. That was uh, three thousand six hundred twenty-two. And then we got another seven thousand five hundred on the festival, which was. Outrageous. That was just overwhelming our expectations. So our expectation mm-hmm. was fifteen thousand dollars in total in US dollars. Yes. And we we achieved eighteen thousand.
3: Fantastic. Wow. Fantastic. That's epic. Yeah. yeah so That's we sent it
1: all to the Red Cross and luckily we have got some feedback. They have bought medicine with it and they have helped to the people of the main origin of the earthquake.
3: Wonderful. Wonderful. What's, uh, that's, that's what it's that's as what's uh, going to end up saving the world: solidarity and bringing down capitalism. <laughs> 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 <All> <laughs> the two of them, the two of them, always always go together. Right. Uh, but uh, fro- now, from the natural earthquake in Ecuador to a political earthquake in Brazil, that's been happening. This has been quite uh, quite a worry among, uh, ma- among among many of us uh, here. Uh, but. And for the, uh, sorry, for those listeners who are, who are not, who are not aware, uh, recently the Brazilian president Dilma Rousseff was imp, was impeached by the, by the Brazilian Congress of Deputies and the Senate, where the, where the, where the, where the right-wing opposition has a, um, has a, has a majority. Apparently, she's been, she has been impeached on the, on the uh, allegation and charges of of corruption with the state oil with the state oil firm Petrobus, Although she, even though the prosecutors, even though prosecutors have actually declared that she has had no involvement uh, in the case, and this has been, this has been seen as a pol- as a purely political move by. Um, uh, well, not not just by the right wing opposition but also by some of the, some of the, some of brazil's largest companies and and uh, corporations like the global uh, television television network as well as the um, <coughs> as well as number of uh, agro uh, large scale agribusinesses who have uh, who have who have who have ties with the with the with the politicians uh, in congress but probably the scariest and the most, well, the most aggravating aspect of this whole affair has been that uh, the the interim, the so-called interim president, the acting president, um, he, well, he himself well, used to be the vice president, uh, domus vice president, but uh, he has... But he has already commenced the implementation of, uh, of, even, of even further austerity and neoliberal politics. Unfortunately, unfortunately, even, even under, under Dilma, we've seen we've seen austerity and neoliberalism start to creep up. But now, now, uh, now, now this is this is this is started to go into full scale. One of their first acts was to replace was to get rid of seven different ministries, including Ministry for Women, Ministry for Culture, minist- and uh, Ministries for. For disabilities as well uh, among 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 uh, among others um, <coughs> and basically replacing replacing the ca- the ca- uh, quite a diverse cabinet that uh, Dillman and, and the government used to have with a government with a cabinet filled basically with corrupt old rich white men
1: <laughs> what a stereotype that exactly
3: exactly exactly i think that that's and uh, that's what scares me. I think that's what uh, I feel like. This is what we really need to talk about. So, Dominica, do you feel like this is this almost feels like a return to what Latin America used to used to be like before we had we had guys like Correa or Luna or Chavez?
1: I do think that is a retrograde process in terms of going back to the right wing and getting exploited by developed nations, which is the case of Brazil. Let's just consider the fact that. um Wood and timber logging happens in the Amazon, mm. and that's not even controlled. And you ask, who are the main corporations? We were just talking about McDonald's. They pollute the 70% of the Amazon. Like, mm. they do soy crops, and they put cows in there, and no one controls that because they, you get better paid for actually working for the bad guys at the end of the day than working for the good ones. So even though they had these restriction and security for environment, Dilma had the best idea, but no one wanted to work because you get paid less than working for um, private corporations. Um, So, looking back into this conspiracy theory that says that the US is actually the one financing behind the court and all these hits and strikes against the governments in South America is something evident. You can see it in Argentina, it has happened Mm -hmm. already. As soon as they stepped in, like the new government stepped in, Mm -hmm. everybody started protesting and going against them, because they lower they, they increased the taxes and then they lower the payments as well
3: and so they got rid of seventy thousand they fired seventy thousand public employees as well
1: exactly so it 's not a coincidence that in South America all these strikes are happening, the right wing is getting a kind of socialistic discourse to actually try to get people engaged. And once they have the power, they just do what they want, what mm-hmm. they were meant to from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So this is exactly what's ga- going to happen in Brazil as well, as um, we were mentioning before in the CAC coming, is that these protests have not happened just recently. They have been continuously happening. Um, we can question, and it's up to you to judge by yourself, if Dilma has done well in the power, Mm -hmm. But she has been one of the more progressist kind of um, candidates along Mm -hmm. South America for progress and self-economy. So they want to build up a self-economy that doesn't depend in the international bank, in the Mm -hmm. International Monetary Bank. But it hasn't happened because as soon as this has uh, raised, so you saw it in the last conference in Quito with the Mm UNESCO. Absolutely. they, They... They proposed this new bank for South America, and as soon as they proposed it, there were allies of European nations that jumped up saying, no, this cannot happen. We have to keep working with them. Mm -hmm. So in terms of what's going to happen with Dilma, um, they just want to replace her, even though they don't want, they don't have any evidence that is crucial to actually cut her down from her position. Exactly. But they got many demands. I just ask, like, it looks
4: like the U.S. is involved, possibly, or some way, or at least uh, some of the economic power houses behind it. Uh, like you said, the, the Brazilian president, she's not that radical. Um, she's a little bit progressive. Why the big fear campaign? Why are people so scared of even a little bit of socialization or social progression?
1: Well, you have to see also the cultural things that they have. So the cultural themes in the stereotype society of Brazil is that those who are at the top and are the wealthiest ones who have private companies are always the successful people. So that's a stereotype that is like an American dream that Mm. has uh, has been pictured along South America. So everybody wants to be successful and get money. And the way to do it is in American dream measures. So we cannot achieve that. Because we are a developed nation, we produce resources for the rest of the world. We are producing continent, not a continent of wealth. And mm-hmm. this is something that they don't identify. They see that privatization is actually the solution for getting wealth. So it's almost like what China is doing. Like China did with Jinping, um, we're going to put, uh, let the wealth happen. So let the Rich get richer, and then everybody else is going to get rich. That was the base of everything, which wants to happen in Brazil. So everybody's saying, like, we should privatize things. Dilma says, no, we have to work along with South America congregation. Let's unite forces together. People say, no, because those who have the decision at the end of the day are the investors who are the investors, private companies.
4: -hmm. The ones who stand to lose a lot of money out of these sorts of things.
1: Exactly. Imagine how much revenue they would lose if a socialistic perspective wins in a resolution, whatever, in whatever sphere you want to see it. Mm.
3: And the second, uh, the other side of the coin is the uh, the private media throughout, uh, uh, basically throughout Latin America, but especially, especially in in Brazil, where the the global, uh, well, so the, the global corporation, which are, which owns the vast majority of television channels, radio channels, uh, uh, newspapers, so the majority, the vast majority of of uh, communications is handled, uh, is in private hands. And, and global itself has been a, in a very, uh, has basically become a the po- one of the main political actors of the of the right wing opposition. It has actually promoted. You know, Protests against uh, Dilma it has promoted uh, calls for impeachment against Dilma. It has promoted the, it has promoted, the, um, well, it has promoted this parliamentary coup that took place in uh, in Brazil. On yeah. the last, uh, and they, and they, they have been doing that for for years. This is not just a standalone uh, event. They were doing this against uh, uh, Lula da Silva when when he first uh, came into power, there, and they were doing it all throughout. Uh, throughout, throughout this time, and this is something that we, we we've been seeing not just in Brazil but in, in countries right across, uh, right across the region. I w- in my recent uh, travels and um, in my recent uh, trip to, to Bolivia, I saw uh, I also saw an especially vicious example uh, example there, where the private media um, actually tried to smear Evo Morales. With, uh, s- with some really horrendous and some really weird stories. One, one was that uh, Evan Morales was getting a $200 haircut. For two, that, was, that was supposed to, like, you know. <laughs> that was. <laughs> is sounds
1: that is not right from the beginning. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
3: La- the, but apparently, that was supposed to,
0: like, you know, tarnish his humble image, so to speak. True. They're just jealous of his cool hair. <laughs> I actually want yes. to ask one question going back to Ecuador. And um, I want to have ask, you know, how has, you know, the earthquake sort of affected sort of the politics of the country in terms of, like, support of the right? Has, like, has there been, like, a... Because I know the right wing always like to take advantage of these crises, and have, has that been the case in Ecuador?
1: It has certainly been the case, as in any other earthquake that has happened in South America. We see the same thing happened in Chile, and it really proved that, like, it challenged the governance of Michelle at that time um, with... Working along with the Argentine, trying to maintain by that time when they were like socialistic, the power. But in Ecuador right now, as you just mentioned, answering your question, it has happened. There had been really big protests happening along the way in in, like in the major. The problem with Ecuador also is that we have the house of the president in the middle of the city. Um, so people just glomerate in front of it and start protesting about things. So the problem also is that those who are paying for this are the right-wing candidates. We have 25 parties. Only one is from the left. One is neutral right-wing. Everybody else is from the right. So there is this um, conspiracy between the major of the second biggest city, which is um, Guayaquil is the second biggest city in Ecuador, and It's just killing us. He has been 25 years in the power, and he has been paying people for going to Quito, which is the capital, and do these protests and be violent even. Mm -hmm. So the Ecuadorian government has tried to do a referendum, but because of the costs of referendum, of deciding, like, should we sell some sort of ministries or institutions to actually solve the problem, Um, it hasn't happened because the cost of referendum is going to be much higher than reconstructing certain areas. So at the end of the day, um, people are the ones who took their own decision, and people are the ones who thought uh, we have to do a um, counter-protest agglomeration, so they organise themselves to actually counter fight this strike to, for the government because they want to take advantage as Ecuadorian government cannot be re-elected. So Rafael Correa cannot run as a president for one more time because he has been three times already. That's what our constitution allows. And if he does postulate himself after, um, that's going to go against the constitution that he himself approved in 2008.
4: And when's the next election due?
1: So that's going to happen on May 2017. So we're February, sorry. Oh, February? February, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the correction. <laughs> yeah, I've been away from home for a long time. But uh, yeah, it's going to happen on February 2017. So as you see, we're just a couple of months away. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. Okay, um, this is Left Radio Breakfast, and uh, we're speaking with Domenica Moreno, who is a local Ecuadorian community activist. Um, just got a little announcement. One second.
3: Right. We are just finishing uh, our talking discussion with Domenica Moreno from the Ecuadorian community here. Uh, we, um, I was just about to uh, actually to actually talk also about well, th- just the, the importance of um, the social movements uh, in Latin America, because uh, what we have to remember what we have to remember is that with all of these progressive governments that have existed throughout the continent, in, from, from Brazil to Bolivia to uh, to, Venez- to Venezuela, to uh, to, to, Ar- to Argentina, uh, to Ecuador, all of these all of these governments were brought into power on the back of huge social movements, massive social movements, huge mobilizations against neoliberalism, and the fight against neoliberalism that has that has completely devastated uh, the continent before. And wh- what we have to remember is that the only way the only way that we can that we can ensure that neoliberalism does not come back, uh, when we we can ensure that the old elites don't. Uh, Get their greasy hands on the political power throughout the continent is to, ki- is to is to is to is to keep is to is to support the social movements is to ensure the social social movements stay in uh, stay in Garden Street stay in the street and, and mobilize against uh, these new atrocious acts of um, well against these new atrocious uh, attacks against uh, everything everything that we have uh, fought for and everything that we have gained in the last. Uh, in the last decade, and I think it was—it's it was, also very important to mention uh, the, uh, the current uh, well, the current problem problems that um, our companies are facing in Venezuela. And, uh, on, to- on top of on top of a huge drop in oil prices, on top of droughts, on top of um, you know an economic war waged by the uh, uh, by, by the um, uh, bu- businesses and corporations within the country, and on top of a. Of a a very especially vicious and violent uh, right-wing opposition, Venezuela has been facing U.S. intervention for a long time, uh, for a a long time as well. And recently, recently, uh, one of one of the the leaders of the um, one of the leaders of the of the right-wing opposition in Venezuela, Enrique Capriles. I remember this guy I remember this guy from uh, from my own trip uh, to Venezuela he's actually said that it's t- it's a- it's time for the army t- for the army to prepare the airplanes and tanks the hour of truth has come basically he's who they are now basically openly calling for a military coup against uh, the elected government democratically legitimately elected government of of Venezuela so this um, uh, this this is probably this is one one of the most challenging times that we, that we, have, that we have faced rather yeah
1: rather. I, I agree I completely agree let's remember that um, socialistic movements are actually the ones who have ch- put on track of South America back into the economy, so the success of Chile in the economic world and for them putting them in one of the top best economies in the world has been because of the socialistic movements that happened before that. Um, it also has to happen that it's not a coincidence that suddenly all these good leaders or the most influential leaders are starting to fall down. So it wasn't a coincidence that Venezuela got hit in the government with all these media distort because the ones who own the media are private companies that are usually financed by uh uh, US corporations. So if you see CNN, for instance, it's such a big corporation that has news along South America, and the only one that ha- competes against it with the socialistic progressist mm-hmm. ideology is Telesur. Telesur. And it's really difficult for Telesur to finance itself because they are going against the rich people, so they mm-hmm. have to finance themselves by doing ads and advertisements and all these things, which also kind of uh, wants to drive people into a more consumptionist um, resolution. Like people have to, at the end of the day, consume some sort of thing to them get finance, but at the end they also want to balance it with um, you have to buy this product, but don't forget that this is how the world works.
2: And just to to clarify for our listeners, if they're not aware, Telesur is the uh, Venezuelan... It's like a... South American, pan-South pan American. Oh, it's pan-South American, right. It's I thought it was mainly just um, Venezuelan.
1: It just started as Venezuelan media. It has the headquarters there, but they have shifted right now because of all these problematic uh, mm-hmm. situation with the government. So now it's shifting to uh, have headquarters in Ecuador. That's
3: right. So oh, wow. That's amazing. That has the English version as well. Yeah. Where... Comrades of ours have been working. Yeah, as Australian well, people are well.
1: working there. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly.
0: um, Green Left Weekly regularly prints um, articles from Telesur on a exactly, daily yeah. basis. <laughs> yes.
1: It's good, it gives you a perspective of um, how policies don't work in an economy neoliberalistic thought. Because what works for Western countries doesn't work for African or for South American or Southeast Asian countries. So keeping, keeping an ideology of progressism based on what your needs are is something that we should draw more often. And if you can unite forces for doing that, just share the information and the ideas.
2: Mm. All right. um, well... I reckon we've got uh, our special guests, Sivarajan and Arumugam from the PSM coming in soon. So, um, yeah, we should maybe wrap it up. I've got a bit of Gil Scott-Heron to play. Wonderful. Thank you uh, very much, Domenica, Yeah, that was. Yeah, I thought that was very informative and yeah. I've learned
0: so much. <laughs> yeah,
1: thank you so much for inviting me to your program and making me part of this um, activist kind of movement. And I... Reiterate my congratulations for your postulation again. Um, you guys are making a great job, and whenever you want, you can just uh, contact me. I will give you more South American news if you want.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh, and um, awesome. keep us updated about any more earthquake relief fundraisers or thank any uh, uh, cultural or political events uh, that the Ecuadorian community are organizing.
1: All right, thank you very much.
0: I'm going plug <laughs> in all right um, you're listening to green left week um, green left Re- weekly radio yep. all right so now we're on to the activist calendar um, um, you're just actually listening to Gill um, Scott heron there and there'll actually be a concert uh, well a kind of gig um, the revolution will not be televised pieces of Gil Scott heron is that t- yeah. featuring Vince Jones Nafar Jones Ryan Vitchie who Blaines ha- Paley Kramer and Walter Saloon, spoken words, soulful reimaginings of um, familiar songs and lesser known tracks from Aaron's dialogue. It will be one night only, 6pm tonight, Chapel off Chapel, which is at 12 Little Chapel Street, Paran. On this Saturday, the um, 21st of May, 6pm, in support of the re-election campaign of Moreland Socialist Councillor Sue Bolton. This will be an opportunity to meet other campaign um, volunteers. There will be choices of paths and salad, and there will be a bar. It will be at 48 Blair Street, Coburg, which is just um, off Sydney Road. For more info, phone Andrea at um, 0424 508 On this Sunday, um, the 22nd of May, music um, playing for peace—a chamber music afternoon concert. Um, Music will be performed by Rohan Murray and Elizabeth Sellers, um, pianist and violinist respectively. All proceeds from this from the event will be donated to MAPW, which is the Medical Association for Prevention of War Victorian Branch. It will be at 2:30 p.m. Lowland Farm, 70 um, Bro- 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 Road in Mount Macedon, which is actually where I used to, I used to live near there. So, it was, It's actually a bit far out in the country. <laughs> um, also happening this Sunday will be a public meeting with um, Edwin Snow- Snowden. Um, he will be appearing live via video link. The controversial conqueror of social justice will enlighten audiences on how he did what he did and, most importantly, why he did it. This will be a rare opportunity to see one of the most revered free thinkers of the 21st century. Um, next Tuesday there will be a public meeting. Public meeting: Nuclear Frontlines, the politics of radio- radioactive racism. Um, Australia is once again talking nuclear waste, both on a national and international level, and targeting South Australia. This is an issue that concerns all Australians, but particularly. Targets Australia's Aboriginal people. Come and spend the an evening with us to learn about what is happening, what can be done. It'll be happening 7 p.m. Tuesday, the 24th of May, at Northcote Town Hall, um, 181, 189 High Street, Northcote.
2: Yeah, and I'm heaps keen to check that out because uh, there'll be two special guests there. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this quote right. Marthana traditional owners Regina and Viviane McKenzie. Whose land in this in South Australia's Flinders Rangers, Rangers is being targeted for a international nuclear waste dump. Uh, so, yeah, they'll be in Melbourne. I've, I've been and heard from some Aboriginal people as part of a convergence against the Northern Territory intervention a few years back, and there can be a real sense in these uh, communities that they are beholden to what white fellas in the cities on the east coast are doing and that their voice is not being heard so if you can make it along uh, on tuesday night to northcote town hall i think it's really important to support um these traditional owners fighting to stop this massive nuclear waste dump Right, and, um, and i will just pay a, a little
3: Indigenous people in Australia and the Pacific have borne the brunt of nuclear testing. And this was not done unconsciously. We found documents in the British archives saying that, yes, there is uh, certain hazards, but only to primitive peoples, those that don't wear clothes and don't wash, unlike us British. So the sort of racism inherent in this whole operation was known and understood from the beginning that these were the casualties of a larger imperial policy and that they were able to bear the brunt because there were very small populations and didn't have much political voice and as we fast forward to today we see that same thing
1: 3CR, keeping you informed about Australia's nuclear past and present
4: At such a time it's important to have a voice like 3CR, steady, constant sane and committed to a nuclear free Australia
2: Alright, so we just had a couple more news items
0: Right. Um, so um, in t- there'll be a rally, fair go for pensioners. Um, it will be happening next Wednesday, the 25th of May, at the State Library at 11am. It'll be a it'll be a rally for pensioners and other low come in- low income groups such as single mothers with dependent children and the unemployed um, to to have um, to make a stand and have their say. Um, on the 28th of May, um, the, the Moreland Says No to Racism will be happening. It will be at 11am Coburg Rally with demands such as stop the forced closures of Aboriginal communities, treaty now, let the refugees in, close Manus Nauru, no to Islamophobia. And um, you will be encouraging um, all participants to gather outside Coburg Library at 11am. And then there will be a march to um, Bridges Reserve on Bell Street for, um, for, for community speak art and entertainment. Bring your lunch and join with other res- Moreland residents and in saying our community supports a diverse and inclusive Moreland. Um, and it has been initiated by Sue Bolton, Moorland Councillor, and has been endorsed by over 30 community organisations. Um, the last item is um, on on that Saturday um, at 7 p.m. The Kurdish um, Democratic Community Centre Victoria at 36 Faulkner um, Road, Pascoe Vale, will be having a concert for uh for Kobani School for War Orphans. And that's all the details I know about that.
2: <coughs> Alright. Um, well, this morning we um, are lucky to be joined by Sivarajan Aru or Siva, who is from the Party Socialist Malaysia, PSM. Um, Siva is the General Secretary and is in Australia for the Socialism uh, of the 21st Century conference that just happened last weekend in Sydney and went really well. Um, and yeah, we're lucky enough to have him in Melbourne, so welcome, Siva. Yeah, it's good morning, guys. Thanks, thanks for having you. me. Um, so, what's um, what's the latest in, uh, in Malaysia? What sort of campaigns have been happening there?
5: Um, So basically the campaigns, I think um, last year was quite an intensive campaign because that was the first time where the government introduced the goods and services tax Uh, that was in the midst of the rising uh, pricing, prices of goods, transportation and so on uh, whereby we had a big campaign and then uh, even though the government bulldozed through and implemented the uh, goods and services tax effective for 1st April uh, 2015 uh, we had a large protest and some of us got arrested and so on. But what we are doing now is that <coughs> sort of demanding the government to explain and how the, the revenue that they got from these taxes are being used. Because what was the promise before uh, the taxes were introduced is that they would be able to subsidize uh, some of the social programs. It will be able to subsidize public transportation and so on. But the, uh, the terrible thing that happened is that after the taxes were introduced and they collected, end of last year, we found there's a hike in the price of transportation, public transportation, the trains, the buses, and all that went up. So that's why we had another action uh, last month, whereby we went and we sort of demanded where the government explained. Because we, we base it on is that as a taxpayer, I have a right to know how my money was spent. So we have uh, demanded and we do some campaigns around that. Uh, yeah, besides that, for the workers themselves, we will find that because of the economic downturn and the low oil prices, because Malaysian economy, we depend quite a lot on oil, hmm. we find that there's quite a number of layoffs has been happening and workers have been retrenched. And uh, last year itself, I think there was close to about 40,000 workers who have been retrenched. Hmm. The big section of them have been those employees from the airlines, because the airlines went to a restructuring. About 6,000 workers were retrenched. But up to now, for the workers who are retrenched, we do not have a uh, safety or a social security, uh, whereby the workers who are retrenched under the law, they're supposed to get compensation, but the Labor Department uh, statistics shows us that more than 30% of these workers, they do not get anything, meaning that the company has either wind up or bankrupt, and then they, are, they, they just left the workers without any kind of compensation. So we are campaigning for the government to introduce what we call a workers' retrenchment fund, hmm. whereby we want to make sure that the workers, when they are retrenched and the company go bust, that this particular fund would be able to pay whatever compensation that was due to the workers. Uh, it really is a very key thing because as uh, an immediate effect from when you really lose your jobs, you are immediately pushed into poverty, whereby you cannot sustain your children's education, you cannot pay for your housing, you lose your car, and so on. So that should not happen. And we have seen this happening to the 6,000 over uh, employees from the airlines which were laid off last year. They were unable to get jobs. Is, is
2: that Malaysian Airlines?
5: Yes, this was Malaysian Airlines. Is that publicly owned or is that privatized? No, it is private owned, but of course since it's a national carrier, and thus the, the government usually steps in to sort of uh, help, help it out. This is in fact the second crisis. The last one was in back in 96, 97 hmm. where it also uh, suffered a lot of losses, mainly due to mismanagement I would say, not really due to increasing competition and as being a national carrier it was abused by the government themselves you know you'd find a lot of government officials flying on it bureaucrats flying on it without getting you know, without paying and so on it was abused mm. so basically what happened last year was that uh, they they got a foreign expert to come into the the seat of the CEO he did restructuring and basically there's a lot of cut, uh, cost cutting uh, well, in terms of their interpretation, cost-cutting means laying off workers. All right? So that's what happened. So that's one campaign that we're doing, a workers' retrenchment fund campaign. Yeah.
2: Hmm. And what's the, uh, what's the level of, of unionization like in Malaysian Airlines? Is there much of a union presence there?
5: Um, yes, there is a union there. In fact, they are, if I'm not mistaken, there are supposed to be two unions. One is for the staff and the other one is for the flight attendants. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm mistaken And uh, well you see the, the level of unionization in Malaysia has been always for quite very low mm. As we stand today I think from the total workforce we have only about 7% workers which are unionized um, As far as the, the airline's unions are concerned Well they will take more of a negotiating approach They will meet up, maybe raise some issues but uh, sad to say, they're not very militant. Mm. Uh, so even in when this this issues happened, you don't really see them really vocally coming out and making the fight for their members. Uh, they will try to. They will rather prefer to negotiate and work something out. And uh, that has that has really uh, created some uh, follow up problems. Whereby just recently, just before I left to Australia, we there was another news that a further another 1,000 workers will be laid off. Maybe end of this month or something like that. Hmm. And so I've been talking to them, and they say that they, most probably they'll be calling for a picket probably next week or the, in the next two weeks' time.
0: Yeah, I've heard in um, in Malaysia that um, there, there's a lot of because um, in Australia, um, in my experience of being an activist, um, you ra- we you rarely get um, act, um, arrested for um, participating on a picket line or or attending a protest. Though there is. Um, um, kind of recent kind of um, anti-protest laws that are coming out in New South Wales are attempting to do that. But what are sort of the ways that the sort of state um, in Malaysia criminalises um, dissent and? Um, um mm.
5: Yeah, I think the state is sort of uh, uh, sort of enforcing most of the laws and they are sort of tightening up on the existing laws. Uh, yes. The most common ones that they usually use now. Is One is the Sedition Act And the other one is of course <coughs> The Peaceful Assembly Act uh, Malaysia we did not have uh, Any acts that sort of covered uh, Assemblies or rallies and uh, public protests So it was basically Previously all of us would get Arrested, we would get convicted When we started off our activism b- Back in those days But I think due to public pressure Back in uh, 2012 Where we the government sort of Implemented the Peaceful Assembly Act but that again, it has got a lot of uh, shortcomings and uh, a lot of conditions. So usually what the government is doing now is that they will allow us to have rallies, but usually the police will negotiate, and they have a lot of conditions. Some of the conditions are basically ridiculous. And that is why we find that um, we, will, we will carry on with our rallies. And after the rallies are completed, they will call us for questioning, and possibly we will face charges. And that happened actually quite recently, even like, like, like yesterday. Uh, a lot of our comrades were called up because of the May Day rally that we had. And this year's May Day rally that we had uh, in, in the center of Kuala Lumpur was very, very uh, good. It was uh, ex- exciting and was very peaceful. We did a march about roughly about two kilometers, no incidents. We followed the traffic rules. So this incident-free kind of rally. So then, but anyway, since the state... The government wants to make sure that we are continuously intimidated and harassed. So they called us up, three of our comrades went in for questioning. And they went through about three hours of questioning, police questioning. So most probably there will be charged coming up. So this is the way that they try to do. And of course the Sedition Act, as you know, that is getting more and more ridiculous. That any kind of comments or criticism against the government, even though you're not sort of ridiculing them, but just putting out the facts. On how the government has mismanaged its funds, corruption, you know, and they can really come up to you. And um, the police have actually set up a special division uh, in the past year, past year, if I'm not mistaken, that basically their job is not policing the streets. They are basically sitting down and just monitoring Facebook. That's their job. So now we find that a lot of resources in the police force have been uh, used for basically monitoring. Uh, Websites of political activities, uh, Facebook of political uh, uh, parties, you know. So that's where they spend their resources. So as the crime increases in the streets, most of the police now are just sitting in front of laptops and <laughs> monitoring, you know, all these comments.
2: Monitoring
4: thought crime. Yeah, yeah. And what happens when you are arrested? Is there a, in Malaysia are you generally safe if you get charged, or is there a threat of violence against you, you know, from the police? Does he, do? You find it hard to get a job afterwards?
5: Usually, okay, there is a difference. If you are basically an activist and basically you are a political uh, prisoner per se, I mean, uh, you will get uh, intimidated. You will be sort of uh, uh, made, uh, made to do things when you are in prison in detention. You know, probably they will might strip you naked. You know, sort of humiliate you. Those kind of things would happen. But of course, they really will not sort of like hit you. That thing will not happen. But you are under heavy questioning. And I would say there's a lot of mental and emotional torture that would happen. And these things are uh, done quite arbitrarily, whereby, for example, like for sedition charge. For a sedition charge is basically that it could be a comment that you have made on, on newsprint or a comment that you made on Facebook, which just basically requires that particular printout of your comment or that particular posting on Facebook. There's no need. For a detention overnight. I mean, what do you want to detain the person for? Uh, if you want to sort of uh, get their computers and laptops, you can just go and get them. And usually, our activists, I mean, we just we have no issues of just passing out. If if the command was made from our smartphone, we just give it to them for investigation. If it's the laptop, we just pass it over to the police. But even though we have done this, we have cooperated with the police. We found that they simply want to intimidate you, so mm-hmm. they will keep you overnight. And furthermore, they will request for a remand order. The police are capable of asking for a remand order for three days, the first, first remand. Mm-hmm. And then it goes in front of the magistrate and they can request for a further four days. So you find this is completely unnecessary because there's no actually, uh, location of crime <laughs> because you're basically making a command anywhere where there's no Wi Fi. There is no evidence that is supposed to secure those he detained can no longer tamper with any kind of witnesses, so there's no, it's not a crime like where this robbery happens you know, the police need more time to sort of screen through what has happened it's just a comment on the Facebook so ah. why do you need to detain them? Ah. So this is how we have seen that, you no, know, they sort of ah. harass you
4: So you spent a week in, in remand in jail, you know, Western jail just for criticising the government all the bosses. Yes,
5: if you did not get any legal support and no one knows about it and you basically there was no campaign around to assist you, yes, you, you could have been spending the whole week there. Yeah, mm,
4: that's, yeah that's quite a bit of intimidation, mm. really. Um, and if, those, if it was easy to protest, do you think more people in Malaysia might get involved or get involved with your party, or do you think it this scares a few people off?
5: I think the positive thing that we have seen is that uh, because the government of the day is a very unpopular government, so despite their laws, despite their uh, uh, intimidation, and arresting and charging people, uh, people uh, more and more people are coming out. Because I think um, most of the activists who have gone through this, they have sort of like... Uh, uh, I mean, they have really put, put away their fear. And this is what we have seen during the birthday rallies that we had last year in uh, August, mm-hmm. where we had about half a million people in the city of KL this is despite the intimidations that took place previously a couple of days earlier mm-hmm. police talking about uh, banning the teachers cracking down and so on but people really come out these days so i think uh, it's a good thing that nations have sort of dealt with this fear and people do want to, i mean do people do come out and really protest
4: yeah and sorry just to hug the questions i just want to ask how much does you know, we heard earlier about South America and the way people in 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 the West, like governments from the US, control and manipulate the situation for their own corporate interests. How much is Malaysia subject to that? Are they meddling sort of foreign corporate interests from Australia or Europe? Um, how much does that affect sort of workers trying to organise and strike a better deal for themselves?
5: Um, I would think that um, you will not see a direct, um, a direct impact whereby... Uh, in a way that I think all the while, since Malaysia began, began its industrialization in the 1970s, the ruling elite in Malaysia has always uh, behaved like the proxies for the, uh, the foreign companies, either it's from the West or from Japan and so on. Mm-hmm. So even the 1970s, when we had <coughs> this massive uh, coming in of uh, foreign direct investment to start off factories, or electronic factories and so on, there was a very clear uh, law to say that there will not be any kind of national union for the electronic workers. Mm-hmm. And that is basically uh, sort of uh, complying and dealing with the conditions put forward by these foreign corporations when they came in to invest in Malaysia. So since then, I think basically most of our laws sort of like it's always pro-employer, and they have always collaborated with the Malaysian Employees Federation, uh, sort of making sure that they will get their, what they want. Uh, There's a constantly they have kept with uh, a lot of this uh, tax holidays for new investors, giving them infrastructure benefits and so on. Hmm. So I think you don't really don't need a foreign uh, company to really come out openly and say that I want this and this. The bosses are doing it for you. I mean, the the Malaysian elite, they are sort of uh, so much embedded in this whole philosophy That they will do it for you, you know. They are Uh, so pro pro employer.
4: And what's the average weekly wage? Do you have any idea of someone working in one of these electronics factories?
5: Now, uh, yeah. Since uh, 2012, we do have a national minimum wage. Currently, the national minimum wage is 900 ringgit per month. All right, per month. Uh, So maybe, yeah. I think if it works out about 300 Australian dollars. 300
4: Australian dollars per month. And
5: yes, it mm. is supposed to be reviewed every two years But yet again, that has been postponed So now they have sort of raised it up to be to about 1,000 mm. 1,000 ringgit And that is supposed to take effect in July But even then, we already seen that in this couple of months uh, The employees are already lobbying to postpone that implementation mm. The same excuse, you know, we have no profits uh, Economy is still bad this, The same story The third Lamborghini Right, yeah. right, right
4: Yes.
2: Um, and so on that minimum wage, how much of that would go to to uh, like rent and food? Like, mm. um, I guess, yeah. What's the? Does it leave much? Is is it a living wage? Yeah. Nine hundred ringgit per month.
5: Mm-hmm. So just, just to start off with, um, let's take uh, nine hundred ringgit as a minimum wage. The minimum rent that you have to pay for a public housing. Not even a house which we have purchased or it's under higher purchase. A public housing owned by the government. The rent itself is about 250 ringgit. So that's a big wow. chunk from your 900 ringgit, which is already just gone for paying for public housing. It's a, mm. a third of your. Yeah, it's, about a, it's just a two room, 650 square feet wide public housing. Mm. All right? And it's usually 18 stories high. And uh, so that's a big chunk of it. So what we have done is that we, we have sort of campaigned on uh, uh, what we think is a decent living wage uh, based on a basket of goods, the current price hike, including of the hike high, high caused by the goods and services tax, which was introduced last year. Mm-hmm. So we come up to um, the minimum wage should be at least Ringgit Malaysia 1,500. Mm. Uh, even that is not sufficient. When we did a calculation, actually, for a family of five, husband and wife and three children, three children which are schooling, mm. that family at least at least needs about two thousand ringgit. Mm. All right, two thousand ringgit. But now we find that uh, we find in our campaigns is that what would be a decent minimum wage for now would be at least about thousand five hundred. And uh, but now actually, well, uh, there's, there's a big chunk of the population which is well, earning well below that. Mm-hmm. Even though you find in the urban centers at least 70% of the common workers, people they are earning less than 3,000 ringgit household income. Mm-hmm. So it is really a, a, a hand-to-mouth kind of situation. The people are struggling. Yeah, there's no savings you know, basically you're struggling. And yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Alright, uh, we are speaking with Siva Arumugam. Uh, the General Secretary of the Party Socialist Malaysia and you are listening to Greenleaf Radio Breakfast on 3CR.
0: Join with Moreland residents in support of a diverse and inclusive society. Moreland says no to racism. Rally on Saturday the 28th of May at 11am. Gather at the Coburg Library, corner of Victoria Street Mall and Louisa Street. After the rally in March... There will be speakers and music. Stop the forced closure of Aboriginal communities, let the refugees in, and say no to Islamophobia. Moreland says no to racism. For more information and to RSVP, head to the Facebook event, Rally, Moreland says no to racism. A 3CR supporter.
2: Alright, welcome back. This is 3CR, Greenleaf Radio, and we're talking to Siva Aramuga from the PSM. So, Siva, I was uh, interested to hear a bit more about the the campaign against the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which has been, I think, more uh, more active, more vibrant in Malaysia than in other parts of the world.
0: Yeah.
5: Um, okay, actually, for the PSM, we started this campaign, in fact, back in the 2006 that's when uh, basically the first bilateral negotiations were happening. At that time, it was the U.S. Malaysia Free Trade Agreement that was the name of it. Um, so there was a good campaign. We sort of, sort of gathered around a few civil society NGOs, unions, and so on. Uh, at that particular time, when the negotiations were happening, uh, there were a few terms uh, that uh, terms that Malaysian government did not agree to. If I would recall, there were five. 58, 58 rate lines that the Malaysian government could not sort of uh, adhere to and through the pressure from the farmers which uh, we felt that the free trade agreement also affect them so what happened is that it just fell apart in 2007-2008 so the talks ended there but later on what happened is that I think US realised that um, doing these bilaterals and uh, US was always seen as the, the one which is calling the shots so it is then, then that an, another initiative happened through the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. And Malaysia joined the negotiations in October 20, 2010, if I'm not mistaken. And um, so since the negotiations started, we've been following it very closely. Um, this time around, it was quite good, whereby we managed to get uh, a larger coalition of uh, civil society, political parties, unions to come together to protest this event. And it was in fact uh, uh, much easier this time, because the first time when we started off in 2007, people that, or the masses really did not know how the free trade agreement affects their lives. But when we started off protesting against the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, people already seen you know how these policies, this uh, investor-friendly agreement you know, really affects their lives. So we had many activities We had a lot of forums We even re- uh, released a, book on it, a booklet on it There were a lot of protests happening And uh, went to the parliament to lobby Signature campaigns through the media So a lot of things has been happening hmm. But um, it sort of really picked up also The second round of it uh, at the end of last year That is when the text was actually released Because the text was only released After the negotiations were concluded in October last year so many of the things that we really said was actually proven true, because previously, before the tax was released, a lot of people were saying that we are just speculating on these issues. But once the tax was released, then we were able to actually point out clause per clause how it was so much pro investor, how it affects the price of uh, drugs and medicine, how it affects our local farmers. So we went on a roadshow actually beginning last November up to January this year explaining to the people exactly how the tax affects, that agreement tax affects uh, the the, the masses unfortunately the government signed it on 4th of February this year, 2016 and then, um, but still what we are doing now is that we are sort of following up on how uh, this agreement will be ratified, because after signing what will happen is that our Malaysian government will have to amend the laws in parliament in order to comply to the TPPA so we are closely following up on that and to make sure that at each juncture where they come out and uh, make an amendment to the law, which complies with TPP, we're able to do some kind of protest and make some comments on it,
2: yeah. Yeah, all right. Good to see. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a good example or, uh, for Australia, I think, because we've been a bit uh, not, not so active campaigning against the TPP, but... It's going to be bad for the working class here as well. So mm. yeah, it's good to see Malaysia, uh, yeah, playing a leading role and getting active around that. Well, yeah, thanks. For well, that.
0: In, even in Australia, they still hope um, because you know there was a just geographically close next to us. There's been a good sort of movement sort of happening in New Zealand with a really, there was a really great um, think protest against the TPP last year.
2: Mm. Mm. All right. Um, well, uh, Siva, thank you very much for coming in and telling us about the PSM. And, uh, yeah, definitely drop in anytime time here in Melbourne. And uh, we'll keep an eye out and see if we can do any solidarity actions if the, if the powers that be want to keep um, trying to arrest and intimidate you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, All right, Thank you for having me. I think you guys are doing a great job here. All the best. Cheers,
2: Goren. Cheers. All right, that's us. Uh, stick around for Beyond Zero Emissions Radio.